Wow, what an amazing start to our message today. Yeah, exactly. We can just go home, man. That was... Thank you, Mario. Thank you, Max. Really, that was amazing. Um, couldn't have a better start to our message today. With love, it all means something. And that's the heart behind this series that we're in right now called The Art of Neighboring. I don't know what you think about when you hear the word neighbor, but my mind always goes to this guy, Mr. Rogers, huh? Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. All you little ones, you know, all you young people don't know nothing about that. But uh, I know uh, my kids, they know Daniel Tiger. So that little bit of his legacy lives on, Daniel Tiger. Um, you know, lots of great songs. If you got to go potty, stop and go right away. It's a great, great one. Right there. So, uh, you know, 30 years, for over 30 years, Fred Rogers, who was an unassuming minister, and his television show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, um, would come into our homes. And he would teach us about love and kindness. And the big idea of every, every episode was... Won't you be my neighbor? So I want to talk to you guys today about what does it mean to be a good neighbor? How do we neighbor well? Last week we looked at the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we saw that at the center of God's plan for our lives is that we would love our neighbors as ourselves. And we began to wrestle with the question that comes from the parable, from this expert in the law, and it's the question, okay, Jesus, you want me to love my neighbor? Well, who is my neighbor? And we, we put forward this radical idea that when Jesus said to love our neighbor, what if he meant our actual neighbors? I know that's a crazy question, but it's something worth thinking about, isn't it? When Jesus said, love your neighbors, what if he meant our actual neighbors? And of course, neighboring includes all that stuff we do at the rescue mission. Of course, it includes all the stuff that we do around the world. We want every nation around the world to hear the gospel. Of course, for Jesus, all that stuff is neighboring. But doing all, all those things, it, it doesn't somehow sprinkle magic fairy dust over our actual neighborhoods like Jesus wasn't talking about them. See, our neighbors are the very people that God has placed in our life. People in our neighborhood, our co-workers, our classmates in school. These are the very neighbors that Jesus is calling us to love. We can do so many things as Christians, but if we don't love our neighbors as we love ourselves, 1 Corinthians 13 tells us it all means nothing. So we want to ask the question today, what does it look like to be a good neighbor? How do we neighbor well? And I want to go back to that parable of the Good Samaritan. And, and I mentioned last week, we want to take a deeper dive into this story and to see what is it that makes the Good Samaritan such a good neighbor. So if you have your Bible, will you open it up to Luke chapter 10? We're in Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. Luke chapter 10. 
one of my favorite parables here. And we'll start, pick it up in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a great question. And Jesus says, what's written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? The man answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you'll live. But the man wanting to justify himself, uh, but he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Let's pray. God, thanks for this morning. Thanks for your word. We pray that you would do a transforming work in our hearts today. God, we want this life to mean something. And so forgive us, God, for the ways we've failed to love. Change our hearts, God. Awaken in us a love that changes the world. Through your grace, through your power, God, speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're looking at this really incredible story. We're asking the question, what does it mean to be a good neighbor? And I just want to start with this, picking up on our song, um, A Good Neighbor Can't Do Nothing. Now, I know that's not good English for all of you like, smart English people. Uh, a good neighbor, but it's the heart of what I want to say. A good neighbor can't do nothing. We see this in our parable, verse 30. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Jesus sets up the parable describing a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. This was a 17-mile stretch of road. It was notorious for being one of the most dangerous roads in the area. People would come to Jerusalem, to the big city. They would bring lots of money. They would buy lots of cool things. They would head home down the same road, and so many people would be attacked by these robbers on the road. They'd get held up, mugged. People just started calling the road the way of blood. It was that dangerous of a road. And so when Jesus begins the, the parable, there was a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. Everyone in the audience was thinking, okay, hopefully he's not alone. Hopefully he's armed. Hopefully it's not late at night. What happens? Of course, the man is robbed. 
He's beaten severely. Everything is taken from him. Left half dead, naked on the side of the road. And yet, help is coming, right? Help is on the way. A priest is coming. A priest will help. He's a priest. He's just coming back from Jerusalem. Just finished serving at the temple. Here comes a man of God. Here comes a servant of God. He's going to help. And what happens? He walks right on by. Verse 31, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. If there was one man most likely to help out in this situation, I think it would be the priest, right? And uh, in, in those days, there were rules for priests. And one of those rules that, for a priest was, you know, if you, if you happen to come into contact with a dead body... There were seven days of ritual cleansings before you could even come back to work. And so I'm sure this priest sees the man thinking, wow, this guy could be dead. And ooh, if I get too close, this could be a huge interruption for my life. And he walks by just about as fast as he could. Priest does nothing. The story continues on. Another man coming down the road. This time, it's a Levite. He's going to help. What's a Levite? A Levite is someone who leads worship, the temple, someone like Max. We had other Levites. They would, they would provide temple security or take care of the temple grounds, someone like Drew. If I know anything about these two guys, if someone needs help, they're going to spring to it. But not this Levite. He goes right on by. Verse 32. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. I just think it's so amazing. Here we have two godly men. We have a priest and we have a Levite. They are literally the best shot this guy has at getting help. And they go right on by. They do nothing. They pass by on the other side. I'm sure these two guys had a million reasons going on in their head. I just finished serving at the temple. I need to get home to my family. I, I, I'm, I'm busy. This could be a major interruption. I, I, I don't know. This kind of feels like a dangerous situation. Like, what if I help? What if I get robbed? I don't know this person. This guy's a total stranger. I'm sure all those things were going through their head as they walked right by and more. But whatever their reason was, Jesus uses the priest and the Levite to serve as examples for us of godly people who failed to love their neighbor. Here we are today, Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. Servants of God, we've come today to worship God in the presence of God. And we go out 167 other hours of the week where Jesus sends us out to our neighborhoods, to the gym, to our workplaces, to our high schools, to, for the very purpose of loving God and loving our neighbor as ourselves. 
And if there's one thing Jesus is trying to show us today as people who love God, and it's the simple truth that to be a good neighbor, we can't do nothing. We can't walk by on the other side. The Harvard School of Medicine did a really interesting study about 10 years ago. Where they, they came across an old survey from the 1950s and the 1960s. And they sent out this survey to, just to ask people, what does it mean to be a good neighbor? And in those days, to be a good neighbor meant you knew your neighbors. To be a good neighbor meant that you could introduce new neighbors to other people in the neighborhood. It meant you help your neighbor. Maybe you bring over some cookies when new people move in. Well, about 10 years ago, um, the Harvard School of Medicine redid the survey. And the responses they got back were basically, to be a good neighbor is to leave people alone. Interesting, right? But don't we know kind of the feeling, right? Drive home from work. It's garage door open, garage door closed. We're right in the house. I think so many of us, you know, we get into this mode. And, uh, and I just think for us today, it's just, it's very interesting, this parable, because Jesus wants to challenge our cultural assumptions. Just like he's challenging some of their cultural assumptions, he's challenging some of our cultural assumptions about what it means to be a good neighbor. And I just want to say, as followers of Jesus, to be a good neighbor is not to basically leave people alone. That's not what it means to love our neighbors ourselves. So why do we do this? Why do I do this? Jay Pathak and Dave Runyon, in The Art of Neighboring, which is our inspiration for the series, uh, they wrote this, and, and I could definitely connect with this. This is what they say. The number one obstacle to neighboring well is time. Time. If you're taking the great commandment seriously, undoubtedly you'll start to feel conflicted. As we all do. You have relationships in your life already. And most of us aren't walking around with extra time, wondering what to do with it. We feel overwhelmed by the amount of stuff that is jammed into our schedules. Our lives are packed already. You ever felt this way? This is, man. I remember Angie and I, when back in 2013, when we first started talking about neighboring, we were, I remember, we were sitting on our front porch, and we were looking out over our neighborhood, and, and we felt God calling us to love our neighbors. We wanted to love our neighbors, but we just looked at each other, and we said, where are we going to find the time for this? How are we going to make this work? What, how, do we, how do we do this? Our lives are so packed already. And to be honest, as, as people involved in ministry, as a pastor, we had so many Christian friends. We were involved in so many Christian events. We just didn't have time for our neighbors. And that moment on that porch was a moment of repentance. It, it was a moment of us saying, you know what? Something has to change in our lives because God is calling us to love our neighbors as ourselves. And, and we, in that moment, simply said yes to the adventure of following Jesus. And I told you last week, our lives have been enriched because of that. It's changed us. It's changing our neighborhood. It, it, we've just seen God work in so many different ways. And over the last, I don't know, eight years, we, one of the secrets that we've learned about neighboring is that being a good neighbor isn't necessarily about adding something to our already busy schedule, but it's about loving people right where we are. 
I'll say that one more time. Being a good neighbor isn't about adding something to our already busy schedule. It's about loving people right where we are. And one of the things I love about hope, and, um, and I really appreciate this after my experience of just being like, I'm so involved in church. How do I find time for this? I love that here at Hope, we're very intentional with our calendar. Um, a lot of you guys know our small groups don't meet every week. We have small group week and ministry week. So this week, for all of you who are involved, small group week. Next week is ministry week. The week after that. Yeah, you guys are getting the pattern. <laughs> so we have small group week, ministry week, and we just alternate every other week. So what is small group week? Uh, put the next slide up. This is small group week. Every other week, our groups gather together as family. We're church as a family. We usually meet in homes and around food to read scripture, share stories, and pray for one another. And our heart is that every single person here at Hope would be involved in a small group on small group week. The next week is ministry week. What's ministry week? Every other week, our groups gather... Oh, excuse me. Uh, ministry week is all about doing ministry together, whether that's personal ministry, individually where we live, work, and play, which is what we're talking about today, small group ministry... So um, we can do ministry in our small groups, and there's a you know, party and bless. Those are a couple of ways we do that. Or church-wide ministry, serving on a hope ministry team. And just like small group week is for everyone, ministry week is for everyone. It's a perfect week. Here's some examples. Uh, share a meal with a neighbor or coworker who isn't connected to Christ. So um, sometimes on our off week, we'll just invite a neighbor over for a meal. Throw a party. And invite people who don't go to church, and some who do. Uh, bless someone and meet a tangible need, either individually or as a group. Uh, pray for people in your oikos. That just means relational world, who don't know Jesus. Meet as a ministry team. There's so many ways we can serve on those ministry weeks. But, but our passion here at Hope is to live lives like Jesus that are up, love God, in, love one another, and out, love our neighbors. And so we want to be very intentional as leadership here at Hope Community Church of creating those opportunities for us as believers, for us as kingdom people to go out and to be those catalysts in our neighborhood, to be a catalyst in our workplace, to be a catalyst on our middle school campus, whatever it is, um, that's our heart. And so we have given a whole week for ministry every other week. And, and that fact that we have set aside 26 weeks a year for ministry should just tell every person here that what you do in your front yard counts. What you do in your neighborhood is ministry. It's real ministry, just like serving as a, a greeter, just like volunteering in the children's ministry, just like being an elder. It counts. And we should do all of those other things. Those are great things to do. But we want to love like Jesus, and we want to love our neighbor as ourself. So as good neighbors, what's a good neighbor? I think Jesus is very clear. A good neighbor can't do nothing. A good neighbor does something. And uh, as Christians, we love people, and love always does something. So let's, let's take a look at this in the parable. Verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. 
So the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Third person to come down the road is the Samaritan. Mentioned last week, Samaritans were despised and hated by the Jewish people. So when Jesus says, but a Samaritan, I want you to imagine how people felt. It kind of stirred them up a little bit inside. He's challenging their cultural assumptions. And when the Samaritan came to where the man was, he saw him. Isn't that interesting? The Samaritan sees him just like the priest did, just like the Levite did. But instead of walking around the injured guy, Scripture tells us he had pity on him. And this is huge. All three walk down the road. All three see the guy. But only the Samaritan has compassion. Only the Samaritan had love. And love responds. Love does something. So what does he do? Look at the actions he takes. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Okay, stop there. Dude started pouring, like, oil and wine on my injuries? I'd be like, uh, what? What are you doing? Like, I'll drink the wine. No, just kidding, just kidding. That would make me feel better. No. <clears throat> um, I, I did a little research on this this week because I've always thought this is an interesting detail. Did you guys know wine is an antiseptic? Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It, it actually helps prevent infection. Oil, what about oil? Oil soothes a wound and it helps it with the healing process. Uh, so I think it's pretty cool um, because most people at that time would have had oil and wine kind of on hand. I think it's pretty cool. The, the Samaritan takes what he has on hand and he use it, uses it to love his neighbors. And it leads me to this question, what do you have on hand? What resources, gifts, abilities has God given you that you might use those to love your neighbor? Could be a snowblower. Could be a. Um, could be just hey, I'll watch your kids, or could be just um, making a meal. Whatever that is, God has given us all amazing gifts and resources for loving our neighbors. The Samaritan puts the man on his own donkey. I can imagine he was too weak and hurt to walk. He takes him to an inn. Um, he he doesn't just you know, drive him to the ER, drop him off at the curb, and speed off, you know? Like, he, it's not a drive-by blessing. He takes him. He, he cares for him through the night. And then the next morning, he's like, whatever, whatever this costs, I'm going to pay this from my own wallet. And then he even says, you know what? I commit to follow up with you. I'm going to come back, and I want to find out how you're doing. And Jesus says, this is what a good neighbor looks like. This is what it looks like to love our neighbor as ourselves. Verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. I just love this. A good neighbor does something. I don't know what that something is for you, but I know it's something. What can we do to love our neighbors? And I would just encourage you to start with the the, the simplest thing, and that's just what I gave you last week. It's the art of neighboring block map. You don't have to use this map. If you don't have a map, that's okay. Um, Angie and I at times have literally sketched out our neighborhood because our neighborhood doesn't look like a tic-tac-toe board. Our neighborhood is one long street with 26 houses, and we've even 
you know, drawn the street, and then we have gone and we've begun to meet our neighbors and write their names down. It's a great tool for helping us to meet and remember the names of our neighbors. And uh, it's been such an encouragement for us uh, many times, just remembering, uh, at one point it was on our fridge, and it was that daily reminder, hey, we want to go out. We want to meet our neighbors. We want to get to know our name, uh, get to know their names. And sometimes we exchange contact information. It's, sometimes it's good to have your neighbor's contact information if anything happens. And um, just doing that, just doing that simple, small step of meeting our neighbors has opened up so many opportunities. It's given us opportunities to invite our neighbors over for a meal. We love doing that because when you have someone over for a meal... You get to know them on a whole nother level. You begin to hear their story, and God can work through that. Um, uh, just had a, a mentor years ago kind of say, you know what, every one of us eats 21 meals a week. Uh, sometimes we miss one here and there, but for the most part, we all eat about 21 meals a week. Now, what if we just took one or two meals of those in a month to connect with some of the people that God has placed in our life? We're all going to eat. Like, I'm going to, I eat religiously three or four times every day. <laughs> so what if we just took what we're already doing? We're not adding something to our schedule, right? We're just loving people right where we are. That's what we're talking about. Um, but, but I want to encourage you today, just by way of application, that when it comes to neighboring, it's really the small things that matter most. It's really those small steps that we take that, that are the most important. And that could be, um, you see a person outside and, and you've seen them four or five or a hundred times, and it's taken that next step just to walk over and say, hey, you know, um, just want to introduce myself to you. Or maybe there's that couple, and uh, you've wanted to invite them over for a meal for, for two years now, and what if we actually took that step to invite them over and to have that meal? So much of neighboring is just about taking the next small step. What is the next small step? step for you. I was thinking about the, the Kimbros and I was so encouraged by them when, um, when they came and they said, you know, we have a neighbor whose home was hit by the tornado and, and I just love that they're, we call it antenna up. My antenna's up. I'm looking for those opportunities. I'm looking for those small steps. And just last Sunday, uh, a group of us went and we helped clean up the yard. Um, we all showed up at Cheryl's house. Can we show the picture of that? Look at the before and after. Isn't that incredible? That's what we do here at Hope Community Church. And, uh, and let me tell you, for, for Cheryl, for the neighbor, it, it was just one afternoon of service for us. It was such a small thing. But for her, it meant the world. We got to, to pray for her and to bless her before we left. Her life was touched in a powerful way. And, and all we did was give a little afternoon. It's the power of neighboring. Taking the next step and saying, okay, God, what's, what's the next small step after that? And over time, those little small steps begin to add up into big things. And just this last summer, Angie and I uh, threw a party for our, our neighborhood. We had a little neighborhood picnic, and um, we, we reached out to, to our neighbors. We went and hand-delivered invitations to some of our other neighbors, and we were blown away when about 20 of our neighbors showed up at our house. And at the end, we, we took a photo, and um, everybody just said, wow, this, this made such an incredible difference. We loved getting to know our neighbors. There it is. There's the, the photo there. 
Um, I will tell you when we moved here four and a half years ago, that never would have happened. That seemed like such a big step. And I had heard of people who threw like neighborhood parties and I'm like, oh man, like I could never do that. And yet over the last four and a half years, we've just taken these small steps. And the next small step was, hey, we know enough people to have a bunch of them over. And, and what was amazing, the, the big discovery for us is just how hungry our neighbors are to connect with one another. It, it's really true. Our neighbors are hungry to connect with other neighbors. It, was, it really was an amazing time. But it, that is just the end result of us constantly saying, okay, Jesus, what's the next small step? What's the next small step? You remember, uh, you guys remember another parable Jesus told about a mustard seed? You guys remember that? Jesus said the mustard seed, it's, it's the tiniest of all, of all seeds. But when you plant it in the ground, it has this amazing capacity for growth and transformation. That's what we're talking about here. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And so all I'm saying today is that if we want to be good neighbors, let's plant those seeds. We can't do nothing. Love does something, just like that good Samaritan, just like Jesus did. Jesus loved us so much, he went all the way to a cross. He died on the cross for our sins. See, the love of God means something to me today, just like I know it means something to you. And when we share the love of God with others, it means something to them. Just like Mario and Max in the song they say, said, I want to love my neighbor like I love myself. I want to move when my brother cries out for help. Don't want to be too proud to forgive before the sun goes down. Then this life that I've been living, what would it mean now? At best, it will all mean something. With love, it all means something. That's my prayer for us today, that love will move us to take small steps in the lives of people who need his love the most. Let's pray. God, thank you for this powerful parable, parable of the Good Samaritan. It's amazing how much you loved us. You, you loved us before we ever loved you. You loved us before we showed your love to anyone. So we just thank you for your love. And I pray today that we would, we would be so full of, of the love of Jesus that we, we would take his love to those who need it the most. Help us, God, to have eyes to see. Help our antenna to be up as we pray for our neighborhoods this week, as, as we look for those opportunities. And we pray for amazing God stories. Over time, here in this church, Lord, we're asking for those God stories where you move in amazing ways, just like this week with the Hirsch family or with serving um, with, with Cheryl. God, we thank you for the opportunities that you give us. Help us to have eyes to see, Lord. Holy Spirit, fill us up. Um, we can't do this on our own. So change our heart. Change our lives. Change our city, God, and ultimately change this nation and change our world. Thank you that you use our little mustard seed to be a part of that. So, uh, God, send us out in the love and power of Jesus Christ. In your name we pray. Amen.